Welcome back to the Security Conversations podcast. My name is Ryan Narayan and I've invited my friend Jason Chan back on the show. Jason, you last appeared on the show exactly one year ago. So I thought it was a good time to have you back to give me a like level set things as we head into the Black Hat Security Conference halfway through the year. A good place to kind of check in after what happened at RSA and see kind of the state of play of cybersecurity. Just a reminder, Jason is an operating partner at Bessemer Venture Partners. Recently retired, uh, was last the security chief at Netflix, running the entire security of operation at Netflix. Jason, welcome back to the show. How are you, my friend? Awesome. Thank you for having me back, Ryan. Can't believe it's been a year. Time's flying, so it's great to see you again. It's been a year and we have a lot to catch up on since we last talked about. And like I said, I wanted to use this podcast to do a big picture look at cyber as we head into Black Hat next week. And no conversation on cyber could even start without a conversation around Microsoft and the issues around Microsoft. Azure security, zero days, response to security issues. We're getting Senator Wyden issuing really strongly worded letters. We have, uh, we started to see some startup founders and so on start to really amp up the pressure on Microsoft. You are an old school security guy who's been around the block forever. How do you view what we're seeing today as it relates to Microsoft and security. Yeah, I think I think what we're starting to see is a real, you're starting to see, you know, the desire from Microsoft to be a, a real player in the security industry, which they are. I think they're doing $20 billion a year in security with, you know, frankly, like how difficult it is to build and operate complex software architectures. I mean, Microsoft has been, at it for a long, long time. I mean, you know, you, we'll all remember the trustworthy computing memo from Bill Gates 20 something years ago, the big SDL push. Uh, but what I think what you're seeing is like, there's such a push to, um, and, and you remember as well, Dan Gears talk about uh, monocultures, right? And so the sort of anti-Microsoft rift. And, and, and you know, I give Microsoft a lot of credit for ushering in like this era of secure software development, secure software engineering, but I mean, in terms of execution, they just, they really failed these last few years. And I think one of the, one of the biggest issues, and, and you mentioned some of the posts earlier and, and people calling them out is just this lack of transparency. And, um, you know, I think was it earlier this year with the national cybersecurity strategy, you know, a, a little piece I wrote up about it is, you know, what, what I would recommend folks doing is becoming just dramatically more transparent about their security programs, especially if you're selling to enterprises, you just have to, you can't really hide anything like there, there's there's no there's no sense in doing it. Just be very explicit about what you're doing, how incidents happen, pretty much reveal it all, especially, you know, we've had over this last 10, 15 years as more and more companies have moved to the cloud. We, we've sort of been told, hey, let the cloud provider take care of security, right? They can do it better than you. And it's been kind of stunning these last few years. If you, if you remember, what was it two years ago with Exchange, you know, the proxy logon issues and it hit Rackspace, right? And Rackspace was, was, had a managed Exchange service and they just had to shut that down. They just couldn't run Exchange securely. So now what is the option? Okay, run Office 365 in the cloud. And now we're seeing what's happening there. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how the, how the story progresses. Well, let me push back a little bit. You were saying it's mandatory to be transparent. And at the same time, Microsoft is a $20 billion a year uh, in cybersecurity revenue, not being transparent. In fact, since the TWC got kind of phased out, I want to guess around the 2016, 17 mark, we started to see a new phase of Microsoft emerge where security, I, I, know, I don't know if you feel the same way, but for me as an outsider, 
looking in and as someone just writing and mon- monitoring the industry, it feels like, I don't know, priorities have shifted entirely towards profitability, towards revenue, and even the VPs there, like the, the folks we know who kind of taught the industry about SDL and the whole concept of security, they're no longer there. They're running programs elsewhere. There's a new set of faces at Microsoft, and I feel like the lack of transparency is helping them. And I want to get into it a little bit with you around licensing and how licensing has pushed us here. Why is Microsoft succeeding when transparency is going backwards? Help me understand what's happening there. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could say, you know, from from the buyer's perspective, you know, my, it was my last few years at Netflix, I also um, managed, you know, most of IT as well, you know, IT infrastructure and, and software engineering. And the way they can do licensing, and, and, you know, frankly, like from a business perspective, they've been amazing. I mean, some of their acquisitions have been just spot on, right? I think about LinkedIn and GitHub, and they're able to to put all those things together. So you've got LinkedIn Recruiter, and you've got GitHub, you've got all your enterprise licensing for Microsoft. So it makes it really compelling from the buyer side. And my sense is security just doesn't have enough of a seat at the table to sort of control, you know, where that procurement is going. So, you know, when, when, an, when an organization is all in on Microsoft infrastructure, you think about Active Directory and, you know, whatever the new name for Azure AD is now, it's just, it's a really, really tough environment to, to secure at, at large scale, you know, all kinds of compromises in terms of, you know, legacy compliance and, you know, things like that. It's just, it's really, really tough, but I, I, I give Microsoft absolute credit. I mean, they, they've, they've been amazing business-wise and I think you can see it from their stock price. And I mean, frankly, it kind of shows that, you know, we always wonder does security really matter from like a business perspective, from a revenue perspective. I think Microsoft is kind of example one, number one that it doesn't really matter. Right. At least it hasn't it hasn't shown to. When you were at Netflix, you guys were a Windows shop. No, no. I mean, we, we used a little bit of Windows, but you know, we were mostly you know G Suite and you know Mac was probably the primary desktop operating system. The raw reality is like a lot of big companies. All big companies are kind of Microsoft shops, uh, uh, kind of lured into E five licensing, so you can kind of bundle up everything. You get a goodish deal on things, and you get Teams, and you get everything embedded with Microsoft Defender and security and logging and so on, and it's it's an easy purchase for IT, right? Because you kind of just dump everything into that lum. You have one vendor to deal with and so on. We have now realized that like security again takes a backseat. Are we heading into a, a Dan Gear-like warning of a monoculture? Are we already there? And this notion of the monoculture will lead to this cascading effects failure to cascade. Uh, like what happens? What happens when Microsoft continue to eat the rest of us. Yeah. And I mean, kudos to Dan for, you know, that perspective, what 20 something years ago, he's such a smart guy. Um, you know, honestly, you know, cause we were colleagues when, when he wrote that. And I mean, I, when I, when I first, you know, thought about monoculture and computing from a security perspective, I was really thinking more of like the large scale disasters, like the one-time events. Like I, I think about like Log4j, that, that kind of thing, that scale. Right. And I think what we've seen with Microsoft is this, kind of like this slow, continuous drip of issues that we've almost become kind of, um, we've become numb to it, right? The frog, the frog, slow the, boiling. The slow right? boiling, you think about Patch Tuesday for the last 20 years, you think about ransomware, you know, domain admin in 10 minutes during pen tests. Like these are the kind of things we've just kind of gotten used to. And we almost, you know, when you're so used to something, you kind of can't envision a different way, right? You can't necessarily imagine an enterprise that doesn't rely on Microsoft. And 
I think that's kind of where we're at now. But what's, let's real talk for a second. What's the option? What's the alternative? Let's say you had to build a security program for a big company from scratch. Digital transformation is obvious. You can't not go to the cloud. I mean, the, the reality is you have to. What is the alternative beyond E3, E5, an E5 license? Isn't it a lot of stitching things together, a lot of vendor relationship management, a lot of pricing negotiations? It, like there's a reason people go to the simpler stuff, right? I mean, that's the raw reality. So let me put the question to you this way. You're building another big program from scratch. Digital transformation is a priority. What are the options? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. It is much easier to go all in with one vendor. And, and you, you may recognize, hey, the downside of that is we're going to have to deal with these security issues and we're going to be kind of you know tied into Patch Tuesday for to, from here till eternity and you know zero days, et cetera. Um, and that may be the price you're willing to pay. I mean, as, as far as I'm concerned, like if I was doing it, I mean, you mentioned kind of cloud native, cloud first. Uh, you know, I think the modern enterprise, their ability to sort of procure, integrate, optimize and secure like a large, diverse SaaS and cloud portfolio, that is the differentiator. That's a differentiator for both technology teams and security teams. You have to make that integration happen. Because I think, I think even if you're all in on Microsoft, you're probably using dozens, if not hundreds of different SaaS applications. And those, and those, those applications are providing real value to the business. I wouldn't say get rid of them, but you, you get even more value when you, when you bring them into the fabric, right? When you sort of tie them together, when you make data from one system be usable in another system, when you don't require, you know, 50 different logins to all your different applications. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would put a lot of energy into, you know, not necessarily, um, yeah, I would think about we, we want the business to tell us what they need software wise. And that's, you know, we used to call shadow IT, but I think it's, it's really just now how IT how business works. Yeah, exactly. It's it's you want the business really deep in selecting the technology and you need to have central teams, whether it's security or IT or whatever you want to call it, you know, securing that estate and making it available to your, your workforce population and also, and also the integration, the cost optimization. To me, those are the, those are the, uh, the kind of pillars or where I'd be putting my energy in if I, was, if I was doing it again. Why does it feel, Jason, like so many enterprises are just YOLOing it, like just winging security, things are stitched together. If Microsoft can't uh, uh, secure an, uh, a signing key, I mean, who, who can at, at that level, these are the guys who are the best at it, admittedly. I mean, you have to imagine Microsoft is the best at this. Like, where do we go from here? Do you expect a lot of this .gov energy and a lot of the pressure coming down on Microsoft to free up logs and kind of improve things? Do you expect we'll see change or it's very much like you said, the same old, we'll, you and I will have this conversation a year from now having the same yeah, I mean, you bring up a couple of great points. I mean, first off, Microsoft has amazing people. They have amazing security talent. And, you know, you would think if, if can anybody protect a key, you would you would think it would be Microsoft. Um, it, you know, I, I partially, you know, for me, I still think, even though I've been doing this a while, and, you know, we both have, I still think we're relatively early kind of security-wise, if you think, you know, not necessarily stone ages, but, you know, we're not, we're certainly not living in the future. So I think, you know, we've got some time, some years, some potentially decades, because, you know, one of the one of the kind of stats that I would quote in talks was if, if you think about robbing a bank, like a physical bank, right, like how how difficult that is, like you've got to physically be there, you're putting yourself at risk, there's only one way in, there's cameras, there's guards, there's still like 4,000 banks a year robbed in the US, right, with that very, very controlled and minimal attack surface. And then... You compare, say, a physical bank to 
any any enterprise, right? Like how many ways can you get in? How many different applications are you using? How much data are you using? How many identities are out there? So there's just so many ways that things can go wrong. So yeah, I mean, I, I love to see, you know, the amount of innovation out there, both in the open source world and, and in kind of the startup space. There's tons of really cool stuff going on. I just think like, man, the attack surface is huge. It's a really, really large problem. And there's a lot of money to be made, you know, on the adversarial side. So as long as there is, uh, you know, something to be gained, then I think we'll, we'll continue seeing it. When you were at Netflix, you ran engine. You mentioned you ran engineering as well. I just had Mike Hanley from GitHub on the podcast. He's chief security officer and VP of engineering over there. We talked a little bit about bringing security closer to where products are made, to where decisions are made. Uh, we've established as an industry that this is this works. It's efficient. It's cost efficient. It's uh, uh, cheaper to bring security there. Why are we building security teams? Why, why are we building corporate teams differently if we already know that this is what works and security can't be bolted on on the back end? It, yeah, and just to clarify, I, I had a much easier, much easier job than, than Mike did. So I, I, I sort of, of took over IT, not not engineering broadly. So that that's a whole whole other ball of wax. And you know, I think Mike's doing a great job at GitHub. Um, but yeah, in terms of, I think at least to me, I think what's becoming a leader leading pattern is having IT report into security. Uh, when we did that at Netflix back in 2018, you know, I remember surveying a bunch of peers, and it was already quite popular where security chiefs were leading IT, and it's only become more popular since then. I think part of it is because. Um, you know, so much of a reliance on external providers, like there's so much, so much more SaaS, so much more cloud. And, you know, the, what, the number I would use is, you know, because I, before I came to Netflix, I, I ran uh, security at VMware and VMware at the time was about 15,000 people and it had an IT group of a thousand, right? And I was in, I was in IT. And then, you know, fast forward to the time when I left Netflix a couple of years ago, it was closing in on about 15,000 people. And, you know, my IT group was 50. Right. So if you think about how much smaller, because you're not necessarily building a bunch of enterprise applications, right? right? You're mostly integrating SaaS. So I think, you know, when, when I look at it, like CISOs and CIOs want the same thing, right? They want well-managed environments. They want their, their workforce well-served. They want things to be secure and efficient. So I think the goals really, really align. So I think more and more, especially in cloud-first, cloud-forward companies, you're going to see IT reporting into security. I, I think that's the right thing. Now, in terms of like what Mike's done at GitHub, I, I think that's that's really interesting to kind of have a dual hat, both security and head of engineering, where you're basically building product. But to your point, security is cheaper, it's simpler, it's easier when you do when you build it in, right? And that's why, you know, I've always been a big proponent of things like paved roads for security and secure by default. You know, make make the right thing easy. You know, like let folks fall into the pit of success, right? Don't make them climb the mountain to be successful. So, I mean, all those kinds of patterns, I think, have, have proven themselves. Um, I think in terms of why haven't we done it, we're starting to see it, right? Yeah, I think that's kind of what you always have to see, right? You have to see some folks at the Vanguard who are willing to like test things out and sort of prove it, but then not only prove it, but also kind of talk about it. Like, hey, here's what we've learned. Like, here's what we, here's what went well, what didn't go well. Because, you know, honestly, I remember when I started, you know, my first year or so at Netflix, you know, I, I didn't have a team. It was just me. And then when I started hiring, you know, I really was just looking for software engineers. And, you know, at that time, you know, say 2011, 2012, it was relatively uncommon, you know, to hire software engineers into security teams. You, you were used to kind of security engineers and they were, 
mostly managing vendor product, right? You're, you're, you're managing a product of vendor, of, of vendor components. And then as you started to think more, you know, tools wanted to be API first, you needed to do integration, you needed to do automation, you needed to do some custom building. That's when you started to see in this last 10, 15 years, more and more security teams hiring software engineers. So I think that's that to me is kind of a lot of the shift. And I think we'll continue to see that play out in the next decade or so. One of the things you're enjoying in retirement is being an operating advisor at Bessemer Venture Partners, a VC outfit. I imagine you're interfacing with entrepreneurs and interfacing with founders nonstop. You're probably listening to pitches from folks looking for funding, helping, you know, connect those guys. What are you seeing as we head into Black Hat, which is Hype City? You're going to see a lot of AI everywhere. We're going to see ChatGPT integrations everywhere. Everyone will be hyping AI at a real level from someone like you who've been in the trenches. And what trends are you seeing? What are what are some uh, uh, innovation ideas you're seeing coming in from entrepreneurs that are difference making without the hype? Yeah, and and just and just to state up front, I, I I'm a total believer in AI and kind of generative AI. I think I think it's it's going to be it is already a game changer. I think it will continue to be a game changer. I think we're just starting. Linger there and explain what what about like what have you seen so far that uh, uh, looks promising, and what is the real thrill, the real long term thrill when new newer use cases pop up? Because right now it's just it's a chatbot, right? A chatbot helping doing co-pilots and so on. There there's some pretty interesting use cases now. But what what do you envision? Like what are what are some you know big picture things you think that's really going to be game changing? Yeah, I agree. I think right now we're just seeing we're seeing a lot of like really simple efficiencies, right? Help me write this thing better, or you know, look at this thing, create some test data, some really really amazing simple use cases. I mean, as as I would as I would if I were try to imagine, you know, say a decade from now, I, I think you're going to see a lot more like really intelligent code generation where you start to see like basically like. I don't, I mean, I think we're always going to need software engineers, we're always going to need people, but you're going to start seeing, you know, computers as, as software engineers, right? They're, they're building the code for you. They're doing it. And, and, and I love, you know, Microsoft and GitHub's, um, you know, phrasing around copilot. I think that's, that's kind of the key, right? It's, it's really like help me do my job better, more effectively. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited to see, you know, what we'll see. I mean, certainly at Black Hat, I think you're already seeing security companies. I mean, everybody's sort of added on a little bit, a little yeah. chat GPT, but you're going to start to see some really, really interesting automation and classification, all sorts of, th- all sorts of things to, to really speed things up. Are you worried about an offensive side of things where the machine is fighting against the machine and the defender continuing to catch up? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think we've already seen that, right? It's, it's like, of course, any technology, right? It's it's going to be used by advers- it's going to be used by the sort of bad guys. It's going to be used by good guys. Um, so there's always going to be use cases there. Um, I, yeah. So I think you'll see. I think you've already seen a lot of it. I mean, just the simple cases like making more believable phishing messages, or you know, ha- basically like you know, setting up a, a chat bot to basically engage in almost like real time sort of fraud with with somebody on say the other end of a text message or something like that. So yeah, I mean, I think. You'll see adversaries use it. You'll see, you'll see, uh, you know, operational defensive teams use it. Beyond AI, what else are you excited about? Like truly excited about? Ooh, geez. You know, honestly, like for me, I, I think most startups are, are to me are kind of like making things incrementally better. They're sort of like, you know, like, like let's, let's make this vulnerability manager process slightly better. Like let's, 
let's find bugs a little bit better. Um, and I think that's okay. I think that there's plenty of room for that. But I, I really like, you know, just, just as a concrete example and, you know, just uh, full disclosure, I'm an advisor to them. But, you know, a, a former colleague of mine at Netflix um, created a, a company called Modern, which does really large scale code base refactoring, like automatic refactoring. So, you know, you're not like if you think about Dependabot, you're not filing a bunch of tickets for developers to update libraries. You're you're rewriting the code base at, at one go. So those are the kinds of things where that just completely dismantles like the old school vulnerability management process where what libraries are broken? Let me, you know, file something, wait for the team to, to fix it. Let me validate it. If I can just do that in one fell swoop and also really operationalize that to me, that's when, you know, because I've been talking a lot in the last year or so where I think about software security, AppSec and developer productivity, they really need to kind of be the same thing, right? They kind of need to disappear into each other and 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 really sort of push that forward. And you're starting to see startups really thinking along that way. So like you, like making, how do you make things easier for developers? Not necessarily selling to developers, but how do you help security teams get closer to developers, kind of speak their language and work in their way? So I, those, those are the kinds of things I'm, I'm, I'm really uh, optimistic about. From last year to this year, the funding environment has changed entirely. Economic issues, of, I mean, larger macroeconomic uh, uh, conditions have changed dramatically. What are you seeing from your side as it relates to uh, uh, good ideas, getting funding, uh, uh, layoffs and uh, uh, retrenchment and contraction uh, affecting your ecosystem, this funding ecosystem. Are we in a healthy place? Is this, is this a correction that was needed? How do you view where we are? In yeah. And I would say, you know, I'm not necessarily the, the smartest on, on all things funding, but I, I would say, I would say it's, you know, there, there's good and bad. I would say the bad thing is that the startup, you know, founder space tends to be not be the most diverse group, right? So I think when funding gets tighter, then I think it gets even harder for for founders from underrepresented groups, right? Because you you know you get a lot of VCs who are trying to pattern match and, and say, well, what has that success before? So I, I worry about that. Um, but I think you know that said, there's there's always there's always kind of funding for good ideas. Now, can those good ideas get get in front of the right people? I mean, I think it's harder. It's it's definitely harder. So I, I think it's, I mean, I think honestly, like in a space like security where there's so many unsolved problems, I, I like to see you know a lot of funding, a lot of like healthy, you know, I, I like to see people taking chances, both on the funding side and the founder side, and and I still see that. So. Um, yeah, I think maybe maybe there's like a little bit less optimism, but I mean, I, I still see, you know, tons of deals happening and, you know, tons of companies, you know, starting. So. Do you see the layoffs and a lot of the stuff cuts? I mean, I, I, we can have a conversation about whether there's a skills shortage when everyone's LinkedIn thing has that little green open to work thing. It just is so baffling to me, like what stage we're at. Uh, uh, there's a school of thought that with a lot of these big layoffs, Google, 12,000, you know, a lot of really, really talented engineers and potential entrepreneurs are out there that we can start to see a bubbling of ideas, of newer ideas emerging out of this uh, mess. Are you optimistic in that sense? Oh, geez. I, I don't know. I, I, I think mostly I've been on the layoff side. I've been I've been somewhat struck, and at least this is the first time I'm remembering in, in my, you know, 25 or so years of working where security teams have gotten hit with during layoffs. And I think, honestly, I'm not going to say it's a good thing. It's never a good thing when somebody loses their, their job. But I think it's sort of showing, hey, I, I believe, you know, security 
has largely been kind of throwing money into into a black hole and we have not been able to prove like what we're doing so we're now paying for that right when you see teams getting cut because we haven't been able to adequately show that we're delivering business value so i don't I think that like macro level, that's a good thing. Like I said, I, I don't, I hate to see people lose jobs, but I think that that's a good thing in terms of really making security teams and leaders think seriously about how are they going to demonstrate value? And I, I'm not talking about, you know, creating, you know, crappy KPIs or metrics, but like actually delivering for the business and not just, and, and, and actually like prioritizing and deciding what you're going to do and not just trying to do everything, you know, like buy one of every segment and then, and then call it done. So I think that's a good thing. And why, are we, that's our raw reality though, right? Like I said, people are just YOLOing it, buying the shiniest new toy. And I mean, that's the reason we have a ransomware epidemic and we have zero day attacks on a daily basis. It just feels never ending. You you mentioned on the podcast that it feels like these like tiny incremental steps are what we're going to have to deal with as we move forward. And like we're in the really early days. It could be 10, 20 years before we get a handle on things. There's some energy around the national cybersecurity strategy around uh, holding vendors liable and a lot of talk around regulations, uh, around AI regulations coming, just generally holding vendors accountable. Are you are you bullish on those things making a difference or is it just a lot of like blah, blah, blah talk that we're just used to for all these years? Oof. Yeah. I mean, it, it's hard to say like I'm excited about more regulation, although, you know, I, I'm generally, I, I am pro-regulation. I think it, the, the problem is, is like, you know, regulations come out and people find ways around them. But, but I think, I think it's important that, you know, one of the roles of government is, is to protect, you know, its citizenry. And, and I think that, I think it's important whether it's AI or security. So, yeah, I'm excited. I was excited by the national cybersecurity strategy. I mean, we were talking about it a little bit earlier, but I, I think we need to move in directions where we, we can hold folks accountable, but whether we also encourage more transparency and more sharing. I mean, you know, I was always big into that, whether it was open source or talking to conferences or, you know, going peer to peer. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think I think that's I think that's a great thing. Jason Chan, thank you very much. We we'll have to do this again. Uh, let's not make it a full year. We'll have to check in again and see if any of these things are starting to move in the right in in the right direction. You and I know. I mean, we're on the same page. We've spent so much, billions and billions of dollars on cybersecurity year after year after year, and then I look at the headlines every day. It's the same things. It's the same stories we've been writing year after year. So you know, I'm hoping that. Uh, there's some optimism to come out of Black Hat. To the folks going to Black Hat, enjoy the show. Go there with a discerning eye. Watch out for the hype, uh, overhyping of things. And I'll catch you on the next show. Thank you, Jason. Excellent. Thanks, Ryan. Stay hydrated out there. Thank you.